What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast. I'm your host, David Michael. I have a special guest on the show, Alex Pajatetsky, who is the owner and curator for uh, the DJHookup.com. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for being here on the show, and how close did I get to saying your name correctly? Uh, pretty close. The, there's, an ex, there's an extra vowel somewhere in there, but... <laughs> more respectable than than most attempts i did my best i I realized it was the first time i ever had to say it out loud uh right now so uh thanks the p dot 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 (laughs) so thanks for coming on um i wanted to uh bring you on to talk you know a little bit about your background um i'm sure you have a lot to share just um from your knowledge from uh having this uh online retail business uh, for those who don't know, the, the DJ Hookup is the uh, Internet's highest rated uh, retailer for DJ hardware. Uh, so you've built a great business, and uh, this episode is not sponsored by you, so I just wanted to be you know, transparent about that. But um, I did want to go ahead and uh, talk a little bit about that and see how that came about, and also just learn a little bit about you and your history as a DJ and uh, in this whole music thing. When I was 15... Uh I, I I started going on these. I, I, I wanted to make my own music actually originally, and I didn't really know what DJing was. I certainly didn't know the difference between DJing and production. Uh, the year would be around 2001, so definitely there's no blogs at this point. There's no YouTube, um, but there are forums, and through forums, um, what I mean. <laughs> To take one step back, up until about that age, the only type of music that I acknowledged as music was heavy metal. Okay. <laughs> as I could neither thrash nor like play like a double bass or or whatever, you know, whatever skills are necessary. I grew up playing piano. That's not a real heavy metal instrument. Uh, um, you know, when I started trying to make my own music back in the day, of course, end up making some like electronic stuff and through that for the first time i started listening to some electronic music uh got into some like uh, uk ravey kind of stuff and which you know everyone goes through a period like that and uh yeah so i i ended up getting on on the forums through that i kind of learned the difference between djing and production and i i kind of realized that okay so so djing is more of a real thing for me at this point than, than producing music um uh, my first job ever i was a roadie for a, for a mobile dj company setting up barbot mitzvahs okay i never got invited to too many barbot mitzvahs when i was actually 12 13 but <laughs> i go to a lot when i was 16 uh i caught i caught up so many times over um but yeah i got to see i got to see that there was like a real um business in it and um yeah you know i started djing i think i was about 15 16 you know went straight for the techniques route back then um fell in love with scratching got into hip-hop through like the back door weirdly through like dj shadow and and portish head and stuff like that and and really was scratching and then through those guys i found out about DJ Newmark and Cut Chemist. So then I found J5 and, you know, like, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, from, from a kid that grew up listening to heavy metal, like I, I fell into hip hop sort of backwards. Um, 
And that became my life for a few years. Um, I spent a few years organizing uh, shows and festivals. Um, when I went to college, I, I was the head of this organization called Hip Hop Congress. Um, and at some point, I was like a 19-year-old with about fifty or $60,000 towards um you know, available to me to, for, for programming and whatnot. So we would throw this like week long festival. So I got pretty deep into the event production world, uh, as well as the PR world, you know, we would, all of our events, they were sufficiently well produced that they would basically be in a small, t in a small college town. Uh, I mean, they would be front page news. So did that, um, Turned 21 once eventually. Uh, I grew up in Chicago, so once I could actually legally go to to th things that were not disgraceful, six, 16 or 17 plus venues, uh, I I really discovered. I mean, I always loved, uh, you know, I, I loved hip hop, I loved soul music, but when I was 21. Um, I sort of rediscovered electronic music, but this time it was house. And when I say house, for especially for some of the younger people listening, I mean what we would call real house. You're like, uh, I'm so from Chicago, so house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> funky, yeah. deep, uh, you know, uh, an extension of what started as disco. Not, right. not something that broke off from, you know, 140 BPM rave music okay. in, in the UK. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, for the next few years that became, that became my love and passion. I had the honor to work with and throw events with some people that are bona fide legends, um, in, in that world. Uh, there's, there's a saying in Chicago, maybe in Detroit, they say something similar as well, but something along the lines of, um, Chicago where our locals are your legends. And that, that was a very, that was a very real experience for me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that was cool. I got, I got to throw events and, and, and play side by side with those guys and not just play, but also learn about music from those guys because, huh, I'll give you an example of what you can learn from people that grew up, that grew up in that generation that you're not going to learn from someone that started relatively recently. Okay. Um, a uh someone that i consider a friend and mentor of mine uh ron trent invited me to his house um i think i was 24 years old at the time and he had two studios he had one studio just for music production and he had one dedicated just for djing and the dj room um probably looks kind of like the room that you're in except instead of having that one shelf it was like an entire almost like floor to ceiling wall of records um and a rotary mixer and two turntables um, I don't remember if he had CDJs or not. And at that time, I was throwing a party called So So Disco, which was a proper, proper disco party. Um, like, a, yeah, a disco meaning disco. Gotcha. And um, I remember being in that room and he played me some records that I would not have considered dance music. But in that environment where you could hear the music so clearly, like it wasn't quite fast enough to like resemble house or kind of the more obvious dancey kind of disco. But when you could feel that music so clearly where you, it like, I mean, you felt it in your body, you know, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this is dance music too. Can, uh, can I ask, is that, can you clarify, was that as a product of just hearing it clearly as in the audio quality or is it a, is it a hearing it in the right context? Uh, probably both, but okay. 
but more the audio quality, more the audio quality. Okay. Right? Yeah, I think that if you haven't been to, you know, one of these clubs with sort of a world-class sound system, you, I don't think you really understand the experience of music mm. uh, uh, from the other from the other end. Um, you know, there are some great kind of consumer level brands, sort of like mobile DJ level brands. But uh, I mean, you really need to hear like a function one sound system and realize, hey, uh, I can hear every sound and somehow I can still talk to my friends without yelling <laughs> at the top of my lungs. Right. How is that possible? And the answer is, I mean, it, that's basically the science of, of audio engineering, you know, uh, and, and, and sound quality, uh, which I, I mean, I, I can't go into like the details of, of what that actually entails, but someone through effort and the right technology and the right equipment um, made that place sound that way. And, and it's not an accident. Um, by contrast, you know, if you started DJing around the era of like dubstep, I, I, I think the reason dubstep became as big as it did is because if you started listening to music over laptop speakers, you couldn't hear subtleties. You can't hear subtle bass on laptop speakers. So you need that like, like that roar the buzz. Of the <laughs> to let you know that it came, that it kicked in, that it came in. And I think I, I truly believe that there's a whole generation of people whose experience of music is shaped by the fact that you know, like they were listening to DJs who got their music off of their laptops. They weren't listening on like high, high fidelity headphones. Most of the time they were just like going through the blogs. And I know what that's like, you know, like I've, I've been through both eras where, yeah. where, um, yeah, where I've done both where, you know, I've, I've definitely listened to songs on my computer and I was like, eh, I'm not really feeling this. And then I'd be like, you know, I, I'd, I'd be at an event and I'd go up to someone and be like, what is that? And they tell me the name of the song, and I was like, "Oh shit!" I, can we swear? Yeah, is that yeah, fair game? Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you know, I'd be like, "Oh wow!" I just basically I turned this I turned this song down last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I think some of that might also have to do with uh, it, that's a great point, and you, kind of in the same vein, uh, a lot of people getting their music from that era were hearing like. 128 kilobit mp3s too because that was kind of like the more common format was a it was a lower bitrate mp or maybe a 192 mp3 and so that plays into the the quality thing as well and i i recall a few years back there were some i don't know double blind studies or something where they found that younger people were preferring compressed music over the original uncompressed signals when they right. were blind testing them which was just a, a fascinating phenomenon I mean, to kind of bring us to today, um, I graduated in 2008. If for those that don't remember, the world was basically collapsing at that time. <laughs> and um, moving back to Chicago from, you know, I was kind of, uh, I, I will say this. Um, I, I think I achieved in my four years in Bloomington, Indiana, kind of a, a, a big fish in a small pond status. But when I, move back to Chicago where, you know, nobody retires effectively. I mean, you, you're literally like the DJs from the nineties are still competing with the DJs from the eighties and the DJs from the two thousand are still competing with the DJs from the eighties. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's, um, there's only, 
as as many people know, there's only so many so many gigs, so many slots. So um, that was a that was a long grind. I, I realized DJing wasn't going to pay my bills anytime soon. Uh, I had to look for employment in the in, in the quote unquote square world, <laughs> and uh, I you know I I already kind of had an entrepreneurial background in terms of throwing events. But I got pretty deep into uh, technology and just the landscape of digital marketing and whatnot. Learned that I was actually pretty good at it. Had a few kind of like base hits, if you will. And then in 2010, I started two companies. One of them was the DJ Hookup. Um, and the other one was a marketing technology company called The Hoth. And um, what I pretty quick DJ hookup was the first company, but what I quickly learned was while I understood the E of e-commerce, uh, I didn't necessarily understand the commerce so much. Gotcha. <laughs> and, uh, and I realized in an industry where you had to carry inventory, um, there wasn't going to be any money for my rent anytime soon. So kind of out of necessity, it was sort of like a rock and hard place kind of situation where I was like, I was kind of like making some websites for people freelance on one side and then on the other side I was trying to be a professional DJ as I'd been doing for the past you know almost 10 years uh, and I was sort of not I wasn't able to really commit to either one so I um, I basically said you know what DJing is going to be there uh, if, if my passion for it is, is real um, it's going to be there but uh, if I have to move back to my mom's house, my mom's basement or whatever in the suburbs an hour away, um, there's no DJ career to speak of whatsoever. So, hey, maybe maybe get your kind of life together. So I, I let myself prioritize my career. I started another company. That one did succeed. Um, ended up selling it to the what I call the early 2000s.com uh, company of our, of our industry. We had like the sexy brand and, and they had like the, the market dominance, if you will. Um, and um, yeah, about a year later, I came back to the DJ hookup. And um, yeah, so I left for a while in case, in case that wasn't clear. Yeah, I, I left for a while to, to work on the other company. But about a year later, 2014, I came back and... You know, the, a lot of things were broken with the company. Like our website was awful. It was ba basically unusable. You couldn't really find anything. Um, and yet I found that we had such high customer reviews and I, I really scrutinized over them. And I found that really like the thing that worked, the one thing that worked in this company that, that allowed it to even get to where it did in, in, those, in those four years, the majority of which I was absent, was just service people wrote you know people could name the exact person that assisted them they could they could um yeah i mean it, it was basically like rave reviews specifically about service and i just realized okay if this company survives if, if, if there's anything like really viable here we need to double down triple down quadruple down all aspects of service and experience and so over the next few years um that's that's what i did that's what uh, kind of the change that i led and obviously eventually the, the website got uh redeveloped to to reflect that and whatnot but yeah and, uh, you know as of 2016 we became the highest customer rated um customer rated dj dealer which 
I need to be clear that doesn't mean we're the largest or we have the most reviews online, but you know, uh, across all the customer rating sites, we have the highest ratings. And then we've kept that um, status for the past uh, two or three years. So, I mean, essentially we found the kernel of what, where our skills and abilities um, really, uh, really meet what the, the DJ market um, once and we just threw everything into that that we possibly could and still do um, and um, yeah I mean that that's kind of the story of the DJ hookup and, and, and how it is what it is today uh, I want to ask you a question and uh, just to kind of preface this you know this isn't the first conversation that you and I have had uh, we've had a couple of phone calls uh, preceding this meeting and you kind of guided me uh, through some help with the uh, going to NAM because that was certainly a uh, uh, intimidating first trip <laughs> for something that size when you don't really know what's going on and so we've I've been able to witness you know you at work and you're a hustler you're busy all the time do you still find time to dj to do the actual dj thing because sure, i know yeah. this is something i struggle with um no i don't um and it's uh it's not something i struggle with it's not like um so in in about i think the last gig i had was was probably six years ago so that would have been around 2013 and um you know one thing that i tell a lot of people a lot a lot a lot of people and it's not just in music i talk to other entrepreneurs and whatever um they're especially in our current society where people are like oh my god if you're not if you're not following your passion what are you even doing you know this kind of mentality uh, a lot of people when they find a, themselves at a crossroads like i did um where i mean they were broke and they had to sort of make sense of their lives um they do what i did which is they go okay 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 you know what um i'm gonna give myself permission to put this passion of mine um this this whatever eight year ten year pursuit of mine on hold so that i can sort of straighten my life out and then i'll come back to it as soon as i can you know and the one thing that i kind of give myself credit for and some of my mentors I, I probably helped a lot in in this regard is at a certain point i realized that while i still loved the music um i didn't necessarily have that same craving to go out there and and perform anymore and i remember when i was 19 and i was just completely frothing at the mouth you know just ready to go anytime you know like you need me to play here cool like i, I remember i played some college party uh, we literally had the turntable set up on the stove like they they were on top of burners i've played those and, parties <laughs> yeah 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 you know what i mean like that's that's where i was at at a certain point in my life um and at a certain point and later you know i was 26 or whatever it was uh 10 years later i just didn't have that same hunger for it anymore and honestly I'm, I, I'm pretty happy with the fact that i let myself move on i think that's a really important thing to do whenever someone says you know what i'm going to put this on hold but trust me man i'm coming back to it blah 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 i go hey to I, for sure I'm, that's where your head is at right now i get it and and you should do that but also if in a few years 
you don't want to come back, that's totally fine too. And the reason I say that, the reason I, I like prime people to think that way is because I've seen people get into multi-year, just, I mean, brutal depression mm -hmm. because they can't reconcile their new reality with this previous identity that they set up or this like promise that they made themselves when they were basically a kid, you know, like you were 16 at some point, you know, how many, how many things are you currently uh, bound to or obliged to from when you were 16? And yet when it comes to this word passion, it's so like hypnotizing, so blinding that I, I've seen so many people just really mess themselves up where I go, Hey, right now you're thinking you're coming back. Cool. Maybe you are, but also if two years go by, you don't want to come back, you're perfectly fine. You're, you're a human. You yeah. had an era in your life where you did something. Now you're in a different era. And by the way, you might have a third era later down the line where you're ready to get back into that thing. And it's like, I mean, to me, that's just like so fundamentally human and normal and okay. And, you know, but it definitely conflicts with that whole aesthetic of quote unquote, keeping it real, whatever, <laughs> following your passion, Whatever are these things that like a lot of times people are like shamed for because they're like, oh, you're just working a job. What do you, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, honestly, 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 there's a lot of immaturity that comes in being a young, creative, artistic person. Absolutely. Like a lot of things that people get real sanctimonious about, real preachy about. And then, I mean, hopefully you grow up and later you look back at it and you're like, wow, that was, I was probably pretty unsufferably annoying at that point in time and and a lot of people are <laughs> yeah i feel i feel like my snobbery has got has trended downward over time at least i like to think so in that respect I mean, if, it has, if it hasn't you probably need to seek help you know, <laughs> made certain decisions that are that are probably sub suboptimal to date but I'm, I'm glad you bring this up because in you know it it might seem uh, kind of weird to talk about you know something like that on the passionate dj podcast you know what about what happens when you lose your passion for it. Sure. But we, we, we have talked about that on the show before. We've talked about uh, a couple episodes on jaded DJs. And, you know, I, I would rather see somebody walk away from it, th um, you know, as, as a active choice than to stay in it until they hate it. You know what I mean? Let me, and, let me say this too. Uh, mm -hmm. Can I just cut you um, Let me say this too. I have been invited quite a few times and I, I have friends that were like at previous gigs and they were like, like man, you were dope, blah, blah, blah. Like just, just do 20 minutes, just do half an hour, whatever. I remember when I was in that like peak passion phase and I remember some late twenties, early thirties dude who, you know, he quote unquote used to DJ, you know, his boy would put him on. And like, I was like practicing at home for hours and I was like current and I cared. And this guy was just cashing in on like, oh yeah, my boy's letting me play. And I remember hating that guy so much. <laughs> I, I remember like hating that guy so much because he was obviously phoning it in. He right. didn't care. And I, that memory stuck with me so clearly that when I, I mean, honestly, this happened to me as, as recently as like a month ago. I, I was literally begged to play a party and I I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that because I remember what it's like to be on the other side of that. And that 
kid who's 19, 20, 21, it doesn't matter what age. I mean, he can be 45, it doesn't matter. But the point is like that person who's still serious about it, who, who, who is, who's, who's really doing it. I mean, that person should get that gig. I don't want to, I don't want to ever be on the other side of that equation where, where I'm taking that away, you know, you know, essentially like passing on that bad karma. Uh, I would rather, I would rather that have stopped with, with me. (laughs) Yeah, and and kind of speaking to your other point about uh, you know being able to to make that choice to walk away, you know, it, I can definitely relate to that. I have a, a friend who you know, I, I'm I'm the guy poking him, trying to get him back into it, and it's become kind of a joke over the years. But I'm also kind of serious because I think he's really good. I really like the music he plays. I enjoy the time that we spent doing that together. You know, several years ago. And so it's just this the, kind of this push and pull thing that we do. But, you know, one thing that I've told him that um, is something that I try to say to our audience every now and then is that um, the cool thing about DJing in, you know, 2019 is that it's it's here for you to explore to any extent that you want. You know what I mean? So, like... If you want to pick up the you know a, p- a couple pieces of wax every five years and put together a, a mix and then put them away, fine. You know what I mean. If you want to be it, you know every day out here scratching and practicing and promoting, fine. It's kind of it's scalable, and I think so many people they either want to join and become a superstar or they quit. And I learned a long time ago not to really focus too much on that listener because that person will go away eventually but there will be people who want to keep this in their life even to to a little extent you know we all we get older we have kids and day jobs and and whatnot and it becomes harder to fit those things in our lives but you know we have options these days we have streaming and you know digital and access to all the music in the world and you know it's it's not a crisis if you don't have an overnight success yeah, man. I mean, you know, an interesting thing. Well, there's two things. First of all, you know, like the first, the first real kind of generation of DJs um, started in. When I say DJs, I don't mean you know. Originally, that was a term referring to someone that played uh, music on the radio. But when I'm referring to DJs, I'm talking about kind of the movement that you would say started with David Mancuso, Larry Levan, those guys, where where there was an actual concept of keeping a flow, a flow of music, uh, with a, a flow of other people's music going as a live performance, um, at, at a party of some sort. And I mean, if you think about it, those guys now are, are in their fifties, uh, in some cases in their sixties. Uh, some of those people are gone already. And, um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I think, I very frequently hear people talk about DJing as if it's a young man's game, mm-hmm. a woman's game. And the funny thing is, if you, I, I know a lot of people that have like uh, either companies in this industry or like Facebook pages or whatever. If you look at, and so Facebook, if you have a page, it'll let you see like the demographics of your of your followers. If you look at any of those pages, absolutely any of them. Um, yeah, 18 to 25 is like a decent demographic, but the vast majority of people are 25, 35, 35, 45, 55, uh, 45, 55. The, um, 
um, in, in my business, in the business of selling DJ gear, uh, I probably talk, and, and I'm not the main one on the phone lines or whatever, periodically I, I, I hop in and do some sales. Um, but even with as little exposure as I have, I probably speak to someone weekly uh, that has the story of, yeah, man, you know, I started when in the 80s. I was all about it, blah, blah, blah. And, and by the way, uh, people love telling you these stories. They're like, we did this in, in 86 and we did this in 87, blah, blah, blah. You know, then I had some kids, had to take care of that. But I'm ready, man. You know, like I was dope. I'm ready to get back into it. I, I mean, I talked to this guy. I talked to this guy that I'm that I'm like acting out right now, literally weekly. And there's so many people that are, you know, they're, they're saying some version of, you know, I, I can't afford to get back into the vinyl game. I remember how expensive that was back then. I'm sure it's just as expensive now. It absolutely is. And, uh, you know, so, you know, they're trying to go more the digital route, the, the controller route or whatever the case may be. And so that's usually their question. But my, my point to your point, to my point, um, you know, these are people that have gone through their relationship with this activity with this identity with this mm, hobby pursuit whatever of djing has evolved over time and, mm -hmm. and you know they, there was a there was a frothing at the mouth passion period then there was a can't really sustain this period and then there was hey i still love this let's let's get back into it in some form or another and and that's to your point that that's available to you with anything i mean with with anything honestly with anything you do in your life and hopefully most people achieve the kind of clarity of mind and the maturity to realize that so they don't have to be tortured by by these um yeah what i say what i call like the promises of of, of their of their younger selves you mentioned uh, earlier that in your early djing career um you know in <clears throat> chicago it wasn't really paying your bills and uh you mentioned in the pre-show chat uh, something about maybe speaking to uh, why some DJs are perpetually broke. Uh, we did an episode way back in, uh, let's see, it was episode 63. You can get to it, passionatedj.com forward slash 63. It was called Competing with Free Jays. Uh, we've talked about this a few times. Uh, what advice do you have to give to the perpetually broke DJ? Uh get a real okay. job <laughs> no, no no actually i mean there are a lot, look i i i get to be in the unique position of interfacing with djs from like every walk of life from many countries every state every major city and the if you if you ask me is it possible to make a healthy living as a dj my answer unequivocally is yes that is on the table that that is that is there for you. Um, can it be? Uh, also, I will let you know that the vast majority of such people, the vast majority of such people that actually make a, a reasonable living as a DJ, guess what? They're not eighteen. They're not twenty. They're not twenty-two. They're not twenty-four. Usually, these are people that have been in it for about ten-ish years, and they're usually in their later twenties. Uh, well into their 30s and 40s and, and these are people that I mean they support families to be clear like uh, they, they make a, a legitimate living so uh, it can be done it does exist um, the number one thing that maybe I would recommend 
when I said, why are some DJs perpetually broke? I mean, the, the first question is, why are some people perpetually broke? And the answer there, um, I, I was there too. You know, I lucked out. I, I did hit some success in my mid twenties, but you know, a few years later, I also was basically broke. And that's because I had no concept of financial hygiene, no concept of, of just financial intelligence. So, um, a book that I would definitely recommend it's, it's not well written, but I, I, I recommend it just because it's so actionable is called, I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. It's not a masterpiece, but it literally will say, go do open this account, set this up, you know, like this percent, is, you know, at the beginning of the month is going, going into your savings account and so forth. Um, and so the first thing is just like, you're not special. Your, your career isn't that different from other people's careers. So like there are a whole bunch of people in our world, in our society that know how to manage their money. And there's many others that don't get on the side that knows how. So that's, that to me is step one. That that's very clear. Step one. Mm. Um, you know, entailed in that entailed in that, for instance. So one of the key, if you read that book, one of the key things that you will learn is a portion of, a percentage of basically every dollar that you learn should go into, you know, paying, paying the future version of yourself that people say, you know, pay yourself first. So whether that you, you can only afford 5% now or 10% or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50%, you know, for every dollar that comes in, a portion of that is going away right away. And if you worked in corporate, um, you know, they've, they've probably set up some kind of like retirement account type of thing where a, por- a portion of every paycheck before you can even touch it, it goes straight in there. And for those of us that have never worked in corporate, honestly, I think, I think that's a huge blessing. You like though, though that's your employer has essentially, uh, forced you into doing something very wise for yourself, you know, that, that <laughs> For those of us that have kind of been independent our whole lives, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a decade or sometimes we never figure this out. Um, and yeah, for me, it definitely had to, had to come the long way. But, you know, when you're buying your gear, then it can come out of, you can then do it intelligently. It doesn't have to be this like, oh, I'm, I'm burning myself this month and it's through prayer that I feel like I will be able to afford this eventually. If you have set up, for instance, a sub savings account or something like that for gear or gear maintenance or whatever the case is, when you need something or when something breaks, it's essentially you've already set up that fund uh, where let's say whatever, let's say 2% of your income sort of already goes in there or I'm making these numbers up. You, you, you have to do like the, the, some of that basic, work for yourself but yeah if you've already if you're already putting away three five whatever percent um you know it's going to need to get reinvested into kind of like resources let's say whether that be the equipment or uh, promoting yourself or whatever whatever it is that you need to move up to the next level you're going to be able to make those investments in yourself without it compromising your your lifestyle because you've gotten used to living off of only 90% of every dollar that comes in or 80% or, or 75 or 70%. So your lifestyle is already configured around living off of less than every penny that comes in. You know, I'm, I, I don't want to minimize or, or 
I don't want to minimize, you know, there's people that are in severe, severe debt and they're in very bad situations. And I, and I definitely sympathize. And, you know, there are people that are very much living in an unfortunately unavoidable paycheck to paycheck situation. But I think for a lot of people that paycheck to paycheck is, um, is just a product of, of poor handling of their, of their own finances. Um, read the book. The book will give you the, the, the whole kind of framework of how to think about this. But if you take, if you take nothing away, you cannot just have a checking account. You must have a, you must have a separate account that is money is stored here and it is not for me to be using on day-to-day stuff. It's not like I got hungry. Yeah, yeah, it's not I got hungry, so I'm going to get a bigger dinner tonight money. That's not what it's for, right? Um, So that's probably number two. And then, uh, you know, the part about actually marketing yourself and, um, and actually having the right income you know, I think I think we could probably do a whole podcast on on that alone. There's there's a lot to say there. There are different DJ business models. I know that you've talked in, about this in some of your podcasts. You have like the performer DJ versus the uh, like event producer type of DJ and and, and whatnot. But I will say this: um, if you want to find the shortest path of least resistance to making a living off of DJing. In my experience, from what I've seen, that's mobile DJing mm-hmm. because mobile DJing, the, the math on mobile DJing is very simple. There are people, there, there is a rotating, um, constantly new group of people that need, that need a service provider uh, for their events. They have dedicated budgets. Many of them aren't trying to go the cheapest route um, because they actually care about the final experience. And um, basically, I mean, essentially, if you think about the mobile DJ market with respect to weddings, bar mitzvahs, bar bat mitzvahs, corporate events, um, quinceañeras, and whatever else fits into, into, into that as like a pool of money that is basically just waiting for DJs to claim it. That is so, okay. So to close that point, I I think if your number one priority is, Hey, I just need to find a way to make money with DJing so I can pay rent with DJing the most direct, uh, least convoluted way to do that. I think from what I've seen is, is mobile DJing. Um, it's not the same game as the club game. It's not going to be the same host of characters. Um, you might feel like you're sacrificing or something. And the ultimate irony, here's the ultimate irony is a lot of people who find quote unquote, who find mobile DJing gross is they will take club gigs that they hate, <laughs> which is like kind of bizarre, you know, like you will still take a club gig where you're like, ah, I hate this crowd. They're so drunk. You know, I'm I'm constantly just like smacking away these horrible like requests, just like drunk high people stumbling all over me trying to protect my gear. But like somehow that's cool. That's keeping it real enough in the club. Whereas like doing someone's wedding, like you'd be making some kind of 
sacrifice. Um, and there, but there is another side of it. There definitely is the other, there, there definitely is the, in some ways the club world isn't that different from the mobile DJ world in the sense that a nightclub that has kind of a, a relatively stable audience, right? Like usually they'll have promoters and they will, they will have built their name over many years. They've probably invested a lot into their interior and, and blah, 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 blah. You know, where a nightclub where they're not depending on you to bring the get the, the guests essentially. Um, they essentially need a service provider that will, again, adequately entertain their guests and make them happy enough to, to come back uh, in a week and two weeks in a month or, or whatever the case may be. And those gigs exist. Obviously, there's many fewer of them. Uh, from what I've seen, that is in very large part a networking game. There's a certain way that you're going to get paid in, in, in that situation. Um, there's certain investments that you're going to need to make and you know what your service looks like is going to be a certain thing as well. But, but yeah, when I, I'm not trying to minimize or say that it's somehow like that's a game. It's not as legitimate. Um, but yeah, in, in the club game, it's much more about that uh, type of networking. I think it also matters a lot more. Um, you know, at that point, all else equal, if people are actually hyped to come see you at that venue and they'll pay the cover charge and whatever, um, the venue is much more likely to book you at that point than, than, um, you know, someone who is just a cool DJ, but like nobody really knows who who they are. I mean, at the end of the day, venues get paid by people coming there and and paying either for booze or the, or paying for cover. I mean, that it's right. basically it. So if you're not contributing to that, you're you're not making a good case for why you, why you should be working there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's where you get a lot of residencies and whatever. And again, there you're going to have to make sacrifices too because most. Uh, most clubs of that variety that actually have a legit budget to pay their DJs, they're not interested in mo in the vast majority of cases for you to play the most underground dopest cuts. Like, right? House music, you know, Chicago is known as the birthplace of house music, but house was underground in the '80s too. Yes, there was a rave scene and and, and whatnot, like that that happened in the '90s and 2000s and, and whatnot. But I mean, it was underground then too, and and while some some you know names and, and and performers and whatnot they hit it on the international circuit you know I, I know i personally know someone that that got paid five thousand dollars to play a gig in croatia and couldn't get 250 dollars to play a gig in 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 uh in chicago you know uh some, someone that people respect a lot you know and I mean, that's kind of the reality of, of that world. Like with, within any given city, within any given market, unless you are a kind of global name, most well-paying club gigs, you're, paying, you're playing what people want to hear. And what people want to hear generally is the hot music of that moment. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's part of the business model. That, that's if you want to be that club resident DJ, that, that's part of, I think, what you need to accept. And then there is that kind of quote unquote holy grail of like you're a true creative, you you don't make any kind of creative compromises and, and, and blah blah blah, so on and so forth. 
But I'll tell you what, a lot of those guys are playing money gigs between their, their like artistic integrity gigs as well. You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast. We're talking to Alex from the DJHookup.com. Just want to give the listener a reminder that Passionate DJ Podcast is supported via Patreon. If you want to become a supporter of the Passionate DJ Podcast, you can do so by visiting Patreon.com forward slash Passionate DJ and sign up and get access to all that great bonus content that you don't get on the main show. Alex, a couple of things that we talked about in the pre-show chat i'll kind of let you take the uh direction whichever way you want for our final segment here we talked a little bit about uh networking and existing within a community and then you also thought that you might want to talk about landing your first gigs or getting more gigs Uh, which direction would you prefer to take that conversation i mean we can we can go either way um on the subject of networking uh i think that Right. I think the way a lot of people go about networking is sort of this, uh, hey, man, will you check out my mixtape kind of like out of the trunk hustler, hustler. Right. And again, I go back to something I've said multiple times in this conversation. It's like, what do you have to offer? Uh, One of the ways that I got to meet a lot of people is the fact that I was putting in the legwork to throw and organize a lot of shows, a lot of events. Uh, in the case of like Soso Disco, for instance, if you guys, if you, if you remember what 2009 looked like, there was this kind of wave of quote unquote new disco that 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 was cool or whatever. And, and a lot of people sort of rediscovered old disco because of that and, and disco house, you know, became, became popular again and, and everything. And so, while I basically was a nobody coming back to Chicago at that age of, at, at 22 years old, I created, uh, with some help, uh, I created essentially a platform where a lot of DJs who already loved this music were passionate about this music. They didn't necessarily have an outlet for it. And so we would invite people pl- to play and people who, I mean, we, we for sure couldn't have paid their like normal fees, right? But people that were quote unquote way out of our league would be like, dude, it's dope what you're doing. Uh, let me come through, I'll, I'll, I'll drop a set on you guys. Um, and so that, I mean, that was a very effective method of, of, of I think networking and, you know, but we, we brought something to the table. And then I remember the first time I met Ron Trent I literally was in the backyard of, of this like clothing store um, that I that I would go to sometimes. Uh, they they were having like a, a cookout, a barbecue, and you know someone goes, "Hey, I'd like to introduce you to Ron Trent." And you know he had heard about what I was doing, and he was like, "Yeah, you, should, you know that that brings us to that the story about the studio earlier." You know he's like, "Yeah, you should come by sometime." Um, to be clear, I, I made I, I joke about it like we didn't. I drove to those gigs, but if I had to take a cab, I would. I wasn't making enough money to take a cab back. You know, um, there there was no money in it for us, it, but it was a contribution, right? Like we we created a, a space um, and an experience, a vibe, whatever, and obviously we we got some amount of people who just wanted to come and have a good time, the attendees at the party. But I think just as importantly, if not more importantly, it was a a table um, on which to essentially break bread with, with people that otherwise wouldn't have a reason, a a reason to do so. Mm. Um, And again, different people have 
different things to contribute with you. Like you've essentially created this platform. And I want to say this earlier uh, when you were saying like, yeah, you know, I don't have as much time to, 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 to DJ a- anymore. Uh, you know, you, you created this platform as well where you're giving a lot of DJs, whether it be kind of in your local community of Dayton or, or, or more global acts that are coming through. Um, you know, you, you've created the, this platform where I'm sure you can reach out to some of these bigger names that, that you know, you would have been nobody to mm-hmm. uh, five years ago or whatever. And, you know, say, Hey, I'm going to be in, in Florida or whatever. Um, is there an opportunity for me to play this gig there? They've had a good experience with you on, on your show. They appreciate what you did for them, that, that you gave them the opportunity and the exposure um, that, that your show obviously has and, and your audience. Um, and, and then you, you know, so you, again, you've built something that is a value that you've made some kind of contribution. And I think, I think the more people can think in those terms, the more the more people can think of of um, you know again, what am I bringing to the table? What what is my offering here? Um, the better the better results they'll see, and and the the happier I think ultimately in the long run they'll be with their DJ career. The more they'll be celebrated and respected by their peers and and, and whatnot. A related question I get to to sort of the networking question. I'm doing okay in my city, but I'd like to sort of break into other markets. I'd like to, whatever, yeah. you know, if I, if I live in Indianapolis, how do I, how do I start getting some gigs in Chicago or, or whatever the case may be? Well, I think the logical thing is you, you know, you come to that city, you ask, you know, you ask, you find out kind of who's doing things there and you say, Hey man, can I like pick your brain? Like, what, what's it like here? Whatever, whatever. Um, and really, really try to understand, really, really seek to understand before you're understood. Um, and, and at least put on a good impression. Like, like you want to contribute something, like you want to yeah. come there and, 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 and do something cool, give them something valuable. Um, and I think, uh, another, I have a lot of things uh just things that i've collected over the years but there's this phrase uh if you want money ask for advice if you want advice ask for money and you know so i think in in cases where where you're you're talking with people and you're like yeah how do things work here who's doing cool stuff blah 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 who should i talk to um you know i think in a lot of those cases people will go you know what uh did you bring your stuff with you i I think we actually have an opening on on friday night or on thursday night or whatever the case may be and you start breaking it quote unquote breaking in that way and obviously if you come prepared and and you're ready to put on a a good show and 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 your your skills are are in order and and, and whatnot you're gonna see that 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 snowball grows it grows over time um but it to me i think it all really comes from that give first, um, create that, create that, um, table on which to, like I said, to, to break bread, you know, um, this is something that I've seen, uh, you at work in, um, uh, just by the way that you approached me, I hope it's okay that I say so, yeah, um, sure. where, you know, one day I was out shopping or something, I don't remember what I was doing. And I get a notification on my phone saying that I had a message through the voicemail system and it was you, and you gave me the, hey, I'm, this is who I am, this is what I do. Um, I feel like there might be some opportunities for us to create some content together. Hit me up if you're interested. 
and just the way that you kind of broke it out and I got back to you immediately and we just kind of had these very pragmatic conversations of here's what I expect, here's what I expect, here's what I don't like, here's what I do like. And it just, you know, the way that you come at that, I think really matters, you know, to your point, as opposed to um, listen to my mix, listen to my mix, share my link, share my link, or whatever the the ask is, you know, it's like, hey, I feel like uh, we might be able to work together. What do you think? And I I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, it would be like I knew that you had a podcast because I, I, I tried to start a podcast under the DJ hookup umbrella a few years ago. We pretty quickly realized how much work it was going to be. <laughs> at, at about two episodes, that, that's, where, uh, that's where we had to put a lid on it. Uh, and I saw what you were doing and you were like 150 episodes deep or 160 or whatever it was at the time. You know, like this guy's in a flash in the pan. Like he's really serious about doing this. And it, it just makes sense to me that, that there's probably some like collaborative, cooperative opportunities. So when I get on the phone with you, when, when you're like, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you. My first question isn't like, ah, oh, dude, we're doing this, blah, 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 blah. You know, they feel like they need to like vomit their resume on, on yeah. which, which I always like to begin with like, hey, tell me about what you're doing. You know, and, yeah. and you say, hey, we have. This in, these initiatives going, like we're trying to do this, we're trying to move from here to there, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and I, I try to understand, like, what are you trying to achieve? So that if I do pitch you something, I can fit it into the kind of like framework of what's valuable to you. Not, and if I do that effectively, I know that later on when I need a favor, I mean, we're, we're, we build a relationship that way. And then later on, it doesn't all have to be transactional where it's like, Hey, you need this, so here's this, and I need this, so here's that. Like at a certain point, we're homies. At a certain point, we're just texting each other, right? Yeah, exactly. At a certain point, I'm like, I'm just like, hey, could you do this for me? And you're like, yeah, no problem. You hit me up a few weeks later. How about that? No problem, you know. And and so I think this is, I mean, that's the net to me. That's the anatomy of a relationship. I love the phrase, "Yo, let's network." (laughs) And like, it's like, what do you want? Like, like that's a particular that, verb they have in mind. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, you're, you're already starting from a bad place because yeah. you're already making it difficult for me to even understand what you want. You know, so now I'm, I'm like, does this guy just want like to take advantage of my resources or whatever, or my time? Like, what what do you want? Like, who who are you? Like, what do you bring to the table? You know, give 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 me something. Like, give me an idea of like where you're coming from with this and maybe yeah maybe then it's worth my time to get on that call like at least give me that first at least give me that first sense of like what this is about and 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 to so i can figure out if this is worth my time or not but uh that yo let's network that to me just sounds like hey man let me waste your time and honestly (laughs) honestly, usually that's what it is uh and which is why i generally don't respond to things that, that sound like that we talk a little bit about these things in episode 137, Adventures and Networking. You can get to that at passionatedj.com slash 137. Uh, Alex, before I let you go, um, what do you listen to uh, outside of this kind of realm of stuff that you're in with DJing? What's, where's, what's your musical taste and background? Uh, I mean, my musical taste is basically the wide, wide, wide umbrella of soulful music. And I mean, that that encompasses um, jazz, soul, 
funk, um, Afrobeat, house, disco, um, hip hop, neo soul. Uh, I mean, all of those things, all of those things, like I probably the aloe black, I need a dollar station on, on my uh, Pandora. Yes. I'm, yeah, I know I don't use Spotify, I use Pandora. Uh, that's probably like the station that gets the most, the most action um, from me. Uh, I also little known fact, uh, I, I've been a dancer as long or longer than I have been a DJ and that I do this day uh, so like i listen to a lot of latin music um as a result of that if i'm listening to music it's probably one of those things alex this has been a great conversation i want to thank you so much for coming on today and uh do you have any final thoughts that you want to share and maybe uh you know any social media stuff or web links that you want to share with the audience sure um yeah i wasn't going to do this but you hit me up yesterday um we did put together a special promo for uh, Passionate DJ DJs. Uh, if you want to hit up the djhookup.com slash passionate DJ, um, we, we have set up a special discount code for anybody that needs any gear. Also, for anybody not familiar with us, um, the, the real way to, to use our site to get maximum value out of it is hit us up on live chat or email us at sales at the djhookup.com. Tell us what you're looking to buy and we will basically do whatever we can to to get you the the deepest discount possible plus help you out with whatever whatever you need so there's that hit up the djhookup.com um hit up the djhookup.com slash blog we're um, on the subject of contribution um we don't just want to be hey buy this buy this buy this we really want to create meaningful resources for 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 djs so We've been doing some cool stuff on the blog and, and our angle in terms of the content that we're producing is to really, to really create things that are valuable, not necessarily cool. Um, there's a lot of, there's a ton of routines out there and whatever, but yeah, earlier this year we put out like a ultimate guide to selling your used DJ equipment and getting the most value out of it for the least amount of work. So, you know, everybody's going to come to that moment in their career when they're going to need to switch up their gear. Um, definitely encourage you to use that guide and, and, and uh, save yourself a lot of time and make some extra money from that. And yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll be doing stuff there, obviously Instagram, Facebook, you know, you know how that works. Um, but yeah, man, huge. Thanks for, for, for having me here. And uh, URL again is the DJ hookup.com slash passionate DJ. Go get, the hookup on your DJ gear just for being a listener, passionate DJ. Alex, thanks so much for setting that up. I know, like you said, that wasn't something that you had in mind, but I kind of hit you up the other day and said, hey, how about something special for our passionate DJs? Got to look out for my fam. So I appreciate you uh, being willing to do that and uh, for coming on the show and just dropping all these uh, knowledge bombs, man. You have a, a, lot, uh, a lot of important things to share, and uh, I hope that we can do this again sometime soon. For sure, man. Love to. All right. Thanks so much, Alex. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of the Passionate DJ Podcast. Keep on spinning.